Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. We are, for those that are joining us, you're joining us for the last Sunday of our series, Seven Week Sunday Morning. Oh, Kevin's brother right here from, uh, I missed one right there, from Pennsylvania, is that right? And if you want some stories on our principal, Mr. Cyprian, talk to his brothers, happy to tell, is that right? Happy to share stories about Kevin? Absolutely. He'll be in the lobby, just gather around, and uh, fundraiser for the school, the church. I like that. We'll pay for good stories on Kevin. And uh, you're joining us on week seven of our uh, Sunday morning series on stewardship. What does the Bible say about how we handle the things that God has entrusted to our care? And every one of these messages, we've answered a question. The first one, the question was, are you rich? And we looked at that biblically and, and practically, and then who owns that? And we went through that. Last Sunday, the question was, what can't money buy? And I gave us seven things in life and in Scripture that no matter how much money we get, that money will not be able to buy. And so we're looking for things often in earthly stuff that was never, that earthly stuff was never intended to give us. And that was last week's message. If you missed any of those messages, you can catch them on our website, our church Facebook page, our church podcast, and you can find those. After church got out, somebody at the door, they said, you know what else money can't buy? A full tank of gas in California right now. And I said, that's true, that's, that's true. Be honest, how many of us this week, we talked or, if we want to admit it, maybe even complained about gas prices this week? Be honest, you talked about gas, I'm up there. I saw this meme this week, go ahead and throw that up there, RC. It says, y'all complaining about gas prices like you don't pay $35 to have Taco Bell DoorDash from three blocks away. Any of you guilty of that? All right. So we're complaining about gas prices. I've been there. I, I sent that to our staff thread, and I won't say who, but somebody on there, I think it was our staff thread, or maybe it was a, a friend thread. I sent that um, there that has some of our staff members on it, some friends. And I won't say who, but one of our staff members put back, I actually paid 25 bucks for two acai bowls recently to have it DoorDash to my house, not going to lie. And so be careful what we complain about, but I thought that was good. Taco Bell, DoorDash. Speaking of gas prices, I told our staff a joke in our, our ministry-wide meeting this week. My wife is going to tell me after church that I shouldn't have said this in church, but I read that Taco Bell is now the only place you can still get gas for $1.39. So I'm not, I'm not sure if that's appropriate for Sunday morning church or not, but you can take that and use that as you would like, all right? Some of you will get that a little later, and if you don't get it, if you don't get it, just go to Taco Bell and you'll get it a little later, all right? I don't know where this service is going. All right. We're going to look this morning at what can money buy. Turn with, you, with me, if you will, where we've started every one of these uh, messages. Next Sunday morning, I'm excited, we're going to jump into a verse-by-verse study through the book of Genesis. And uh, I, I don't know, that, I'm, I'm not sure yet. We'll see where it goes if we're going to go through all 50 chapters. I know for sure we're going to go through the first 11. But a series on back to the beginnings, you know the foundation of our faith, everything we need for the foundation of our faith and, and with what God wants us to know uh, about who He is and those things is in those first 11 chapters of the Bible. We're going to jump in next week. I'm excited about that new series, studying verse by verse through the book of Genesis. 
We've been in 1 Timothy 6 at least to begin with every one of these messages in this series, and we're going to be here again. A reminder from this passage, this is a book that Paul, the seasoned minister, wrote to uh, his son in the faith, Timothy. It's called a pastoral epistle, a letter to a pastor. And he's telling Timothy, Timothy, here's some things you need to know personally, and some things you need to teach those that are under your spiritual leadership. And in 1 Timothy 6, much of it is, Timothy, you need, to, you need to personally have the right mindset toward the things of this world, and then you need to teach the people under your, your leadership to have the right mindset toward their stuff. And so that's where we're at in 1 Timothy 6, Paul writing to Pastor Timothy, a young son in the faith, and he, he teaches here, money is not bad or evil. We get this idea sometimes. Some people, at times you hear people say, money is the root of all evil. Well, that comes from this chapter, but they just forget the first three words. The love of money is the root of all evil. And stuff is bad, is evil. If that's true, we're all evil then. We all, we all have money. We all have stuff. It's, it's not wrong to have stuff. It's wrong when stuff has you. And, and he's talking here, it's not, it's not having stuff, it's a wrong mindset and a wrong appetite for it that can be sinful and hurtful in our lives. We looked at money's limitations last Sunday. This morning, I want us to look at money's power. What can money buy? Why does God give us wealth? To wrap this series up, I want you to see it. Would you read verse number 11 with me aloud? 1 Timothy chapter 6. We've been all through this chapter, so for the sake of time, I'm not going to read a bunch of context verses. Let's just read verse number 8 aloud to begin with. Ready? Begin. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith. That was the text verse for our lesson on Are You Satisfied? Having food and raiment, let us be there with content. Skip down to verse number 17, if you will. Let's read verse 17 aloud. 1 Timothy chapter number 6, verse number 17. Ready? Begin. Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. What can money buy? I want to give us three thoughts this morning, three things that money— last week we saw seven things money can't buy. This week, three things money can buy. Number one, money can buy, we see here, personal blessings. Be thankful. It can buy personal blessings. You know, one of the reasons, I think this is obvious, but one of the reasons that God gives us the ability to earn money and to have money is to be able to provide for ourselves and our family, to meet our basic needs, food and raiment and shelter, and all of those things take money. And the Bible said there in verse 17, God gives us those things richly to enjoy. It's anything that we have, it's God that's given it to us, and it's not wrong to have those things. What it should do, what it says there, teach them that they be not high-minded, but, but, but not trust in those riches, but in the living God. It should lead us to gratitude. I've heard it said, and it's convicting, if you woke up tomorrow with only what you thank God for today, what would you have? So easy, isn't it? To get all of these things be blessed so richly, but to lack in that gratitude area. Whatever it is that you have on, on a personal level, a spiritual level, a material level, your finances, your stuff, your relationships, your family, your health, how are we doing in the gratitude department? Well, I, I do that the third Thursday of every November. I do that for a few minutes before I eat the turkey and watch the Cowboys lose. That's what I do every year on Thanksgiving. I may, I'm making some people mad this morning, aren't I? And it shouldn't just be the third Thursday of November. 
God gives us those things to enjoy. Lord, thank you for these clothes, for this house, for this job, for this vehicle, for the food in our refrigerator, for my church, for your word. Do we live in daily gratitude? You know what we so often do? I don't know about you, but if your human nature is anything like mine, we focus on what we don't have, what we want. And he said here, having food and raiment, let us be there with content. Money, what can money buy? Personal blessings, be thankful. How grateful would you be? I want you to think about this. How grateful would you be today if somebody gave you a million dollars? We all think we'd be pretty grateful, right? The story is told of Andrew Carnegie. You've probably heard of Andrew Carnegie, the multi-millionaire. The story is told he left a million dollars for one of his relatives. And you know what they did? They cursed his name because he had left $365 million to public charities and other things, and he, had, and, and, and he had cut him off with just a measly million. Gratitude is all a matter of perspective and entitlement. What we think we deserve. What we think we're owed. What do we believe that we're owed? If we think we're owed a certain amount and we don't get that, we won't be grateful for what we're given. That, that relative thought he deserved more than a million, so the million wasn't enough to be thankful for. It's all a matter of perspective and entitlement. That job that you complain about, it's the dream of many unemployed people. Your annoying child is the dream of those who cannot have children, of many that cannot. Your small home is the dream of every homeless person. Your little amount of money is the dream of every debtor. Your smile is the dream of those who are depressed right now. How are we doing in the gratitude department? Lord, thank you for who you are and what you've given me. Money can afford us personal blessings and benefits. Be thankful. Number two, money can, what can money buy? Earthly impact. Be bountiful. I want you to see it. Look at verse number 18, please. Let's read that next verse where we stopped. We stopped in verse 17. Let's read verse 18 aloud together. Verse 18, ready? Begin. That they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. He says, Paul, I want you to, he says, Timothy, I want you to tell you to tell your people if they've been blessed with stuff, if God has blessed them, the one who blesses us richly, all things to enjoy, I want them to make an impact in the lives of those around them with the stuff they have. He says, charge them, challenge them, encourage them that they be rich, not just in their retirement, not just in their portfolio, not just in their investments, but they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. What can money buy you? Impact in the lives of those around you. It can buy earthly impact, so be bountiful. Don't keep more than you need. Learn the joy of giving. One of the reasons that God blesses you and me is so that we can make a difference in someone else's life, not just make our lives a little better or easier. Let me say that again. One of the reasons that God blesses you and me with stuff is not just to make our lives a little better and easier, it's to make a difference in the lives of those around us. I read, back in November, I read a story about a Miami mansion that was for sale. Some of you may have read this article. It was a home that was once lived in and owned by Madonna. She sold it, I believe, back in 2000. She sold it for seven and a half million dollars. Beautiful mansion. I think we have a picture of that, that property, actually. Here it is. 
beautiful property there in Miami. She sold it uh, for about seven and a half million. The current owner, as of November, the realtor had listed it for $32 million. That's not a bad investment. Seven million to 32 million in 20 years. Not bad appreciation. Who is selling it, you might ask? His name is Gunther the Sixth. I think we have a picture of him too. <laughs> this is the owner of that mansion. He's the world's wealthiest dog, now worth close to half a billion dollars. True story. The article said, Gunther the German Shepherd spent a recent morning playing with his tennis ball, rolling in the grass, slobbering a little, and napping a lot. Later he had a meeting with the real estate agent selling his Miami mansion that his handlers bought from Madonna. And of course, Gunther was wearing his very best faux diamond dog collar for the meeting. His real gold collar is back uh, at his main home in Tuscany. As crazy as it sounds, Gunther VI inherited his vast fortune, including the eight-bedroom waterfront home once owned by the material girl singer from his grandfather, Gunther IV. At least that's what the handlers who manage the estate say. The Tuscan-style villa with views of Biscayne Bay boasts a gilded frame portrait of Grandpa Gunther IV over the living room fireplace. The dog's lineage dates back decades to when Gunther III inherited a multi-million dollar trust from late owner German Countess Carlotta Liebenstein when she died in 1992. Since then, a group of handlers have helped maintain a jet-setting lifestyle for a succession of dogs. There are trips to, the Milan, to Milan and the Bahamas, where the latest Gunther recently dined out at restaurants every evening. His handlers like to make sure he's well socialized. By the way, if they're hiring for handlers, I'm going to put my resume in. <laughs> a chef cooks his breakfast each morning made of the finest meat, fresh vegetables, and rice. Sometimes he enjoys caviar, but there's never any kibble in sight. He travels by private jet, works on obedience skills daily with his trainer, and sleeps in a lavish, round, red velvet bed overlooking the bay. He lives in Madonna's former master bedroom on the same street where Sylvester Stallone once lived. As luxurious, the article says, as Gunther's life sounds, he still has drama and hardships like everyone. Back in Italy, his handler has two other dogs that live with Gunther. They're his favorite playmates. But she also has six cats and a couple of chickens. Let's just say it's a work in progress. He's still learning to be with six cats. Oh, the poor life of Gunther. It's a rough life. No pun intended. Rough. Get it? Okay. <laughs> A couple of things from this story, a couple of thoughts. Number one, no matter, I want you to, no matter how successful you are in this life, I just want you to remember there's a dog somewhere that's more wealthy than you are, okay? That's number one, all right? Just remember, you haven't achieved what a dog has achieved in his life. But the real application, can you imagine coming to the end of your life and leaving everything you have to a succession of dogs? Surely there's more to life than that. What a missed opportunity to be generous, to impact the lives of others and the kingdom of God. And by the way, that's a, a real crazy statement, or a real crazy example, but how about the rest of us? What are we doing with what God has given us? Several years ago, PBS ran a special called Affluenza, which addresses the modern day plague of materialism. The program revealed that the average American shops six hours a week while spending 40 minutes playing with his or her children. In 90% of divorce cases, arguments about money play a prominent role, we're told. Whose life is better because of the stuff you have? 
and because of the stuff I have. What impact are we making with our stuff? Is there just a line of German shepherds that are living a, a wonderful life because of that? Or are we making some kind of an earthly and, we'll get to it in a minute, eternal impact with what God has blessed us with? I want you to listen to quotes from some of the wealthiest people of their time. Vanderbilt, I've been to the Vanderbilt estate, the Biltmore House, the Vanderbilt, he said, the care of $200 million is enough to kill anyone. There is no pleasure in it. Rockefeller said, I have made many millions, but they have brought me no happiness. Carnegie said, millionaires seldom smile. John Jacob Astor said, I am the most miserable man on earth. Henry Ford said, I was happier doing a mechanic's job. What do we learn from some of those examples? That doesn't mean if you have money, you're not going to be happy. It means if you don't have the right approach to what God's given you, you're not going to find the fulfillment in that stuff that you think you will. Uh, what, what have we learned from those, that, those lives that come to the end and are, are empty? What we have learned is that money kept for self brings no lasting joy, but money used for others always does. I think the Bible says something like this, it is more blessed to than to, and you know, when I was a kid, I thought, no way, you don't know the joy of receiving. I love presents, but the older I get, the more I learn the truth of that. The joy that comes from bringing a smile to someone else, to helping someone else, to meeting the need of someone else, to, to lifting up someone else, to fixing a problem for someone else, to doing what I can, using what God has given me to impact someone else. There's a great, great joy that comes from that. A while back, I received an email about a struggling mom in our church who was blessed by an anonymous gift from some other people in our church. Because of that gift, the email said she was able to buy groceries for her family, which she otherwise would not have been able to buy. Can I make a guarantee to you, and I didn't ask this mom, and I don't know who gave the money, can I make a guarantee to you, whether it was $100 or a couple hundred bucks, whatever was given in that anonymous gift, I'll guarantee it, the people that gave it found more joy and fulfillment in giving that away than they would have been able to enjoy with anything they would have spent that money on themselves with. What, what can money buy? Earthly impact. Be bountiful. Look for ways to bless others. The more we give, the more delight we'll find in giving. For some, this is easy and natural. For others, the truth is it's difficult and hard. Some of that's personality-based. Some of that's based on the way we grew up. Sometimes if you've been through certain things, it's hard to give. And others, they're just naturally super generous. I, I remember my grandma, who's now in a rest home in Northern California, um, uh, she went through as a little girl the Great Depression. She, she says, I remember we would have for, to eat like a bacon grease sandwich, literally just bread with like grease on it would be the meal for the day. They went through deep things. Well, for her, often it was my mom, it was my mom, my grandma, me and my brother that lived together, just four of us. And at a time, my brother wasn't even born and then he was just a little baby. And there would be times when my grandma would go to Costco she would always come back with way more than we needed. And I remember my mom saying, mom, what are we going to do with all this food? You got way too much. And, and, and I really believe, looking back on it now and talking to my grandma some, some of that was because she remembers times when there was nothing in the fridge. 
There was nothing in the house. So now that she had, it was, I've got to get more than I need to make sure I never get to that place again. Uh, I heard, I think, Terrell, you took us. We heard a Holocaust survivor speak. I think that was with your history class. And we went, and, and she talked about after being in hiding for a couple of years, the soldiers that found her gave her a square of chocolate. She was emaciated in chocolate. And, she, and, 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 and because of that, she said now, and she hadn't taken a bath or a shower for like a year or two. And the first thing they did, she got a bath and a chocolate. And she said to this I think she was in her 80s when we met her. Um, she said, to this day, I take four or five baths or showers a day, and I always have chocolate in my freezer. What is she telling us? Based on some of the things you've grown up with, it changes some of your perspective. So the reality is some of us are really good at giving, and some of us are not very good at giving. Just because you grew up, and that might be, you need to identify that and realize, God, you can take care of me. I need to be bountiful with what you've given to me. Have you ever wondered why you might have so much? Is it just for us to enjoy more? God made it clear it's so that we can bless more people. It's a humbling thing to receive a gift from someone who has less than you and who has far greater needs than you do. I've experienced that on several occasions here in the States and on missions trips to third world countries. I think we have a picture of a, of a village I was in, and, and uh, this is the home. This is the pastor's house, the parsonage. You can see the stairs, somebody sitting on them leading up. It's about the size when you get in there of an American walk-in closet. Right out the front there where those tarps are, that's their open-air kitchen. You can see we're here. I don't know what we're doing, probably studying the Bible or something very spiritual. There, that's their dining room table, the, the table right there under the little outcropping. And we had about six or seven men in a village in the Philippines that slept in this little American walk-in closet space thing. And that morning, I recall, it's up on stilts a little bit. You can see the stairs underneath there. That's where their chickens run around. And that morning, they, I remember about four in the morning, they, they only own a few chickens. They killed one of those chickens. I think the next picture shows the joy of these ladies. And there they are in that open-air kitchen cooking us, I think that's Ponset, and some chicken right there. And look at the smiles on those faces. What's the next picture that it shows there? Is it shows us eating. This is the spread they made for these Americans for breakfast that morning there about 15 years ago. And then the next picture you see, this, this is literally, that ball is literally the only toy in that entire village. Village. That's the basketball hoop we played on that Sunday morning before I preached. This is the church where I, they started singing, count your blessings, name them one by one. And then for the chorus, they sang, count your blessings, name them ten by ten, a, a verse I've never heard sung in America. That's the toy that all of those children have, one toy on that homemade basketball hoop there. And, and I almost broke it with a couple of the dunks that I did, but I, thankfully it didn't break. But here we are. And you know what? These people had nothing. And you know what they did out of their poverty? Instead of them enjoying a good chicken meal, which is a, a, like a once a month thing for them, that they get to enjoy a really special treat, they said, we want to be bountiful with what we've been given. Sometimes we think, well, I don't have much that I can give. I think the next picture shows that church before we left. Look at the joy of the Lord on these people's faces. Here in some village, not a single one of them owns a vehicle. Not a single one of them owns a television. They have, their, their kids share one basketball in the entire village. And look at the joy of the Lord. And you know what they had learned? I don't have to get to a certain income level before I can be bountiful. We have a chicken that we could enjoy for ourselves, or we could give to our guests. And guess what? Some 15 years later, I'm still talking about their generosity. Oh, they could have enjoyed a nice meal for a day, or their generosity could be blessing hundreds 15 years later. It doesn't, it's, generosity is not a matter of income level. It's a matter of the heart. What do you have 
that you can use to be bountiful, to make an earthly impact? What can I do that we can use? Opening our hands to, with what we have makes it possible to receive God's blessings. You and I can't hold on to what we have and also receive the blessing of giving. It's not possible. Either you're living with open hands or clenched fists. The Bible says, withhold not good from them to whom it is due when it is in the power of thine hand to do it. It is good to save to a certain extent. Saving is commended in the Bible. I have some savings. I'm looking ahead. I'm trying to think through to make sure that my family's taken care of in some ways. Saving is commended in the Bible to an extent. But did you know that oversaving is actually condemned in the Bible? There comes a place that we can end up saving more than we should, and rather than the, the, the abundance that God has given us making an impact in others' lives, we keep it, and it ends up hurting us more than helping us. I'm going to get a little personal here. I want to talk a little bit as it relates to stewardship regarding what we leave to our children. I'm going to meddle a little bit in our, in our business here, and you can take it or leave it, but I, want you to, I at least want you to think about it. I read a book, Hobby Lobby founder David Green wrote a book called Giving It All Away and Getting It Back Again. Talks about what God taught him as, as he became the, the founder of a multi, I guess probably billion dollar corporation, just an amazing Christian organization that has given away hundreds of millions of dollars to, to organizations all around the world to make an eternal and earthly impact. He's given away hundreds of millions, and he talked about the fact in his book, he said that he and his wife, they, their family, they've decided they will not leave millions to their children and grandchildren. Now, they, they've helped them get going in life, and they doesn't mean they're not a blessing, and some of their kids work in the corporation, but he said, we're not going to do that. Bill Gates said it this way. He said, a fortune is best not passed on to one's children. It's not constructive for them. Randy Alcorn, the, the writer of the book I gave out at the beginning of this, this, I thought I had one in here, I gave out at the beginning of this series called The Treasure Principle. He's written several other books. He made a decision, if I'm going to write about being generous and laying up eternal rewards, I'm going to give away the royalties of everything that comes in from this book. I, I appreciate that spirit, not just writing about being generous, but doing it. He's given away to this point nearly $10 million in royalties, book royalties, um, maybe a little over that at this point. Here's what he says. He says that leaving a large inheritance to children is a missed opportunity to invest in God's kingdom. And here's what he says, and it is rarely in the children's best interests. He continues, leaving more to God's kingdom and less to financially independent children is not just an act of love toward God, but toward them. I want you to think, and again, I, this is between you and this is your family, but I really want us to think about these thoughts. Andrew Carnegie said, the almighty dollar bequeathed to a child is an almighty curse. No man has the right to handicap his son with such a burden as great wealth. And by the way, lest you just think, going back to week one, while well, I'm talking about somebody that's, that's multi, 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 multi-millionaire, today even a middle-class estate amounts to what was once a king's ransom. When given away, what's left behind is enough to make a great difference for God's kingdom. When passed on to family, it's often enough to undermine hard work, to undermine initiative, and to undermine personal responsibility. You'll have to decide. I think it might be good to leave some money to help with your grandchildren's college, or maybe a down payment for a home for your children, and maybe a little something there to help them. And no matter what you choose to life, I would say this, more important than leaving your children an inheritance is leaving them a spiritual heritage. 
No matter what you choose to leave, more important than leaving them an inheritance is what are you leaving them of a spiritual heritage in your life? By the way, if you leave all of your money to your children, and you leave them more than they would need, and they were thinking correctly, wouldn't they give it to God and others? So if that's the right thing, and and that's what they, why wouldn't you do that while you're living? Use that to make an impact while you can. Make, somebody said it this way, do your giving while you're living so you're, so you're knowing where it's going. For the most part, I think it's wise to let God decide. And I'm not saying, I think in inheritance, you'll see an inheritance in the Bible for your children's children. I do think there, it's, it's a good thing to be a help to the generations coming behind you to get them started. But you really should pray about what that looks like in your situation. Don't just think, well, I'm just leaving every day. How, how can we make an impact that lasts beyond what we're doing? I was recently um, had the opportunity to, jo- to join a ministry board by a man that was the number one, uh, had, had the number one RV dealership in the country, and I, I joined the board of directors of that, and we had our, the first annual board meeting that I have attended, and I've never met the man, but I got to meet his wife, who's still overseeing the board, and you know what I was struck by? And this man, they have some very nice things. They live in a, uh, she lives now in a very nice home in Florida, has another nice home in Indiana. Uh, he, he purchased a Rolls Royce. She drives, I think, currently a, a, a Porsche or a Rolls or something like that. They have some very nice things, but they've also uh, given millions to make an impact to people and the work of God. I talked to one pastor that was there at the meeting, and he said, one time Tom called me. Um, he called me and said, you know, we've never thanked you and your wife for all you've done for the Lord. He said, you've thanked me many times, Tom. He said, no, I, I want you to go. You go buy a vehicle. I saw the vehicle you're driving. You go buy a vehicle. And things like that, and, and, and building of colleges, and schools, and orphanages, and churches, and all of that. And what I love, what really struck me, and I hadn't thought about it quite this way, because I've not been a part of a ministry board like this. As I sat there, this man has now been in heaven for six years. But because of the foundation that he established, every year hundreds of thousands of dollars are going to impact. And I listened to the ministries, and we communicated with about a dozen ministries around the world. South Africa, babies that are getting rescued from being killed being left abandoned and, and dying. And, and, and in Africa, children learning, Muslim children getting stuffed animals that have the Bible. And I could go on and on and on. All of these missions works and a deaf Baptist church here in America that they've been able to help establish and get going. All of these things. And you know what hit me? This man's been in heaven for six years, and the stuff he earned by selling RVs is still making impact now, and probably because of the way it was set up, and the foundation, and the interest, and all of that, will be making an impact in the world for decades to come. Now, everybody might not be able to do something quite like that, but what I'm saying is, have we ever stopped to consider what difference can my resources make beyond just the four walls of my house? What can we do? What can I do? Think about those things. Earthly impact. I'm going to skip a couple for the sake of time. If you want to jot it in your, in your, in your uh, notes, I was going to have us turn to 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 15. God comes right out and tells us in that passage why he gives us more money than we need. Not so we can spend, find more ways to spend it on ourselves. It's so we can give generously. And when God's people are generous and bountiful to those around them, It's a picture of the gospel. Because what's the most generous gift that's ever been given? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he... And when you and I give sacrificially to help others, you know what we picture? 
we picture the gospel of Christ. I've received so much. Why am I being generous to you? Because God has been far more generous to me than I could ever be to anyone else. And I want to share a portion of what he's given to me to impact your life for the better. That's not always financial. Sometimes that's time. I'm willing to give of my time to impact. Sometimes that's a gift we have or a, or a skill we have or a talent we have where we can use that. We have a resource or a relationship we can use to bless someone else. Doesn't, doesn't always, just like the chicken, th- those people in the Philippines didn't give me a dime or I guess it'd be a peso, is that right? They didn't give me a peso, but they impacted my life with their generosity. Diane, I read that email a couple weeks ago. That lady in Mexico impacted your life with those bean tacos, didn't she? It's not always some big amount. How's your spirit of being bountiful? God, you've blessed me. How can I make an earthly impact? By the way, 2 Corinthians 9, you can go back and read that. God says when you do that, you picture the gospel. Number three, and we will wrap it up. What can money buy? Look at verse number 19, the next verse. He says, laying up in store for them. When you give, you're laying up a treasure in heaven. Jesus said it that way. Lay not up for yourselves treasure on earth, but in, in heaven. He says, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. What is, what is Paul telling Timothy? Money can buy personal blessings, be thankful. It can buy earthly impact, be bountiful. It can buy eternal rewards, be careful. Be careful that you're not missing out on eternal rewards because of earthly selfishness. Tozer said it this way. Tozer said, any temporal possession can be turned into everlasting wealth. Whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. Don't you like that quote? Any temporal possession can be turned into everlasting wealth. Whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. That's your life. That's your resources. Be careful what we do with our resources, how we spend our money, how we invest our money, how we give our money. Be careful because we're either earning or we're losing eternal rewards. I'm not talking about giving money to the church to go to heaven. Somebody that's new here today, this pastor believes you have to give money to get saved, to get forgiven. No, by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There's nothing you can give to Liberty Baptist Church or to anybody in this church or anybody outside of this church that gets you one step closer to heaven. Don't get it wrong. But Jesus did say that we do, and I don't understand it all, but he did say there's some sort of a heavenly bank account. He said, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and rust, moth and, moths and rust do not corrupt, thieves don't break through and steal, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I think it's something about laying up rewards in heaven, but I also think it's something about making our our life on earth actually have some sort of significance and value because we're living for bigger causes than just the daily temporal pleasures and possessions of this world. Not only is the reward in heaven when we give to, to spiritual things, but the reward is right here on earth because it draws us closer to him. We get a bigger picture of what really matters in this life. We get a greater perspective of what our lives are all about, and we can look back with like Paul and say, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith, and henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Why? Because I learned what it was to live this life down here. 
The Lord promised in Luke 14 and in other places, Matthew chapter number six, where we were going to turn, and I won't for the sake of time, but he promised that if we give to those who can't reward us, that he will personally reward us. In fact, in Matthew 19, speaking to the rich young ruler, he told his disciples, everything you do, every sacrifice you've made for me on earth, because they asked him. The rich young ruler came, said, God, and paraphrase it, you can go read it later, Matthew 19, how do I get to heaven? And Jesus told him a couple of things, and then Jesus said, he said, oh, I've done all of that. I've kept all the rules. Okay, Jesus said, just go sell everything you have and come follow me. And the Bible says he went away sad. He went away sorrowful, because it was like, oh, no, I I mean, I want to follow you, but I don't want to really follow you like that. I still kind of like my stuff, and Jesus was trying to show him, you're not ready to follow me because your stuff still has a hold of your heart. Jesus wasn't saying giving money is how you get to heaven. He was saying you've got to, you've got to fully put me, make me first, make me the Lord of your life. You've got to, I've got to be above all else. I don't want second place, third place. I want first place, preeminence. And here's what the disciples said. They said, well, we've done that. We sold everything. We left everything, and we're following you. What do we get? And here's what Jesus said in Matthew 19, I'll paraphrase, he says a hundredfold, basically he said, every sacrifice you've made will be repaid 10,000% in heaven. That's pretty good investment return. That's better than Gunther's real estate deal. He said 10,000%, a hundredfold return on every sacrifice you've made, every gift you've given. Eternal rewards, be careful. Are you living and giving for anything with eternal value? Or is everything we do going to burn up at the end? It's just all wood, hay, and stubble. The story is told of Alexander the Great near the end of his life as he made three dying wishes on his deathbed. As the story goes, with death staring him in the face, he called his generals and he said, I'll depart from this world soon. I have three wishes. Please carry them out. Number one, my first desire is that Alexander said, my physicians alone must carry my coffin. Number two, after a pause, he continued, secondly, I desire that when my coffin is being carried to the grave, the path leading to the graveyard be strewn with gold, silver, and precious stones, which I have collected in my treasury. My third and last wish is that both my hands be kept dangling out of my coffin. It's kind of a weird thing if you saw that, but that's what the story says. At this, Alexander took a deep breath and said, I would like the world to know the three lessons I have learned. I want my physicians to carry my coffin because people should realize that no doctor on this earth can really cure anybody. They are powerless to save a person from the clutches of death. Now, I get it that physicians can help us and bring medicine. We just honored physicians two weeks ago. But you understand there's no physician that can stop death. When it's time and when God's done with somebody, we all are going to die. Physicians can help us with maladies, but what he's saying is, I couldn't pay any money in the world to keep me from dying at this point. The second wish of strewing gold, silver, and other riches on the path to the graveyard is to tell people that not even a fraction of gold will come with me. I spent all my life greedy for power, earning riches, but cannot take anything with me. Let people realize that it is a sheer waste of time to chase wealth. About my third wish of having my hands dangling out of the coffin, I wish people to know that I came empty-handed into this world, and empty-handed I go out of this world. With these words, the king closed his eyes, and death conquered him. Review. What can money buy? Personal benefits. Be thankful. God's blessed us, hasn't he? He says, with food and raiment, be content. Are you content? 
You stop to thank God for anything today? Did I? Money can buy personal blessings, and that's a good thing. A man should provide for his family, the Bible says. We ought to provide for our families, for our children. Secondly, earthly impact, be bountiful. Well, I don't have much. Do you have a chicken under the, under the shack you live in? Bless somebody with it. Number three, eternal rewards. Be careful. You worked an entire life, and you're going to leave everything you worked for. Is it going to be of any earthly impact or eternal reward? The same for me. Let's give that some thought. And not just what we're going to leave when we die, but what we're going to do today while we're living. How are we going to impact the lives of others? So why do you have money? Who is your wealth for? By the way, this idea of of leaving everything we have, everything that God's given us just to our children. Think about this. We talked about this in week one, and I'm almost done. You've listened well. We are stewards. That just simply means we're money managers. We're the manager of someone else's stuff. Some of you have financial advisors or a money manager. What would you think if when you entrusted your finances to them to steward and invest for you, what would you think when they died if they left all your money to their adult children? It's not going to happen, right? They're going to be in jail pretty quick. We are, whatever we have, we are money managers of his resources. And again, I'm not saying the Bible talks about leaving an inheritance to your children and your children's children. It talks about that a little. You'll find one or two verses in Proverbs. You'll find a whole lot about sacrifice and give and make a difference and make an impact and, and, and make, make sure that you're taking care of the things that God has put in your place there. In your life and in mine, so why do we have money? Who is our wealth for? What are our resources for? Our family's needs, others' benefit, and God's glory. That's why he's given you health. That's why he's given you wealth. That's why he's given you talents. That's why he's given you time. That's why he's given you relationships and knowledge and connections and careers and college educations and opportunities. What can money buy? Why do we have what we have? for our family's needs, for others' benefit, and for God's glory. I'm going to raise my hand and say, I'll be honest, probably way too big a percentage of everything I have, not just financially, but time and all of that, goes to number one. And I'm, I'm not, you know I'm not saying neglect your family, but probably too big a percentage, and probably far too little goes to others' benefit and to God's glory. If I'm not careful, my focus is on my comfort, my stuff, my investments, my future, my kids' savings, my this and that. And none of those things are wrong in and of themselves. Savings is commended. Oversaving is condemned. The Bible says there is that scattereth and yet increaseth. He gives away and God blesses. There is that withholdeth more than his meat. He keeps too much for himself and it tendeth to poverty. It hurts him. I'm not here to tell you what you should or shouldn't give or where or how or when. I'm here to say, let's think through why we actually have the stuff we have. Let's think through, okay, are my family's needs met? If that box is checked, having food and raiment, there would be content. Now, God, what earthly impact can I make? And what eternal rewards can I lay up? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, don't worry anything about what you're giving away. You need to really think about Have I ever received the eternal gift of eternal life, the greatest gift that anyone's ever given when God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to pay for your sins? 
Before you ever worried about what you're giving with your earthly stuff, you need to answer the question, have I received the eternal gift of eternal life from Jesus Christ? If you haven't, make today the day of your salvation. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.